Well, it's great to be with you tonight. Um, if you're a guest, we are especially honored you're here. My name is Brandon. I'm one of the members of the teaching team here at Element City Church. And we're glad that you are here tonight as we continue in this series entitled Crazy Little Thing Called Love. And whether you're in love now or you've been in love or you hope to one day be in love, all of us know that, that love can be crazy at times, can't it? Uh, sometimes we hear stories about people who go to great lengths to do what we would think of as, as crazy things for the ones they love. So there's the positive side of crazy, and then there's kind of the, the negative side of crazy. And, and I'm just curious, has anybody in here ever been in a relationship where things were crazy and not in a good kind of way? All right, yeah. Hopefully that person is not the one sitting next to you. And uh, if it is, talk to us later. Maybe we can get you some counseling or, or something like that. But we're glad you're here. Now, last week, Jack started off the series, and he talked about a couple of foundational principles that need to guide us as we navigate uh, this crazy little thing called love. And he talked first about this idea of keeping God's preeminent love of you a priority. Keeping God's preeminent love of you a priority. There is a place and a longing inside each and every one of us to be loved in a way that only God can fulfill. And God's love for us is deeper than we could ever imagine. It goes further than our failures. It goes further than our sins. And it, we cannot out-sin God's love for us. And if you try and put that kind of hope in another person, you're going to get let down. So keep God's preeminent love of you a priority. And then from there, we moved into this idea of, of developing our character, of becoming people who love like the apostle Paul talked about in first Corinthians chapter 13, uh, people who love in a way that's patient, who love in a way that's kind, a way that's, that's not envious and that doesn't boast that we need to spend our time focusing on becoming the person that the person we're looking for is looking for. In other words, we need to be developing our character and working towards being the kind of person that, that the other person, whether it's someone we're already in a relationship with or someone that we will be in a relationship with, that they are looking for. Now, next week, Jack and Amy are both going to be here. They're going to talk about marriage. And last week, uh, we gave you an opportunity, and we're going to give you this opportunity again tonight. There's some cards on the communion tables around the room where you can write down marriage questions, or even better, you can text it to the phone number uh, that's on the screen behind me. And here's the thing. It's anonymous. So if you're like, I want to ask a question, but I'm really afraid that my spouse is going to find out. Don't worry, okay? We promise to protect you. I'm not speaking, so I can make that promise. Uh, it's up to Jack to carry it out. Now, tonight, we're going to go in, in kind of a little bit different direction. We're going to talk about one of the most common pitfalls that all of us tend to face in our relationship. It's something that we think is going to make our relationship better, but in the end, it actually damages our relationship and it makes it worse. We're going to take a, a familiar passage of scripture. We're going to look at it through the lens of relationships and in particular, close relationships like a marriage or a serious dating relationship. But if you're not at that point yet in your life, this would be a good one for you to just write down and store in the back of your mind because I promise you, when that day comes and you are in that relationship, this is 
going to come up. Now, my wife, Sarah, and I, we've been married about seven years. We'll be seven years this July. And uh, it was a few months after we got married. It may have even been a few weeks. I can't remember. And we were having uh, what I like to call an intense discussion. Most people call it an argument. But that's has such a negative connotation to it. And, you know, we're always trying to, to worry about everyone's psyche these days and, you know, not making anybody feel bad. So, I, you know, so we're having this intense discussion. And, and I don't even remember what it was about, and it really doesn't matter. I'm sure it was something sign- insignificant. And in all seriousness, I'm being serious. I'm sure it was probably my fault because I know what I'm like, and especially in those early days as a new husband. And so here we are, we're having this conversation, and I say something to her uh, that is particularly harsh. And it hurts her feelings. And so she gets up, and and she leaves the room, and she starts crying. And, And so here I am, I'm by myself now, and I'm thinking, oh, this is not good. Now you're thinking, oh, new husband, he feels bad for his bride, and he, you know, he knows he shouldn't have done that. No, that's not what I was thinking. What I was thinking was, well, yeah, that was a little harsh, but I mean, on the scale of what I could have said, that's like nothing, right? And, and if that's how she reacted to that, well, what's going to happen when we have more intense discussions? I mean, if she's always going to be this sensitive, you know, this is just this is going to be a, a nightmare. For me, now, aside from the obvious stupidity that that kind of thinking demonstrates, it also shows a tendency that we have in, a, in our relationships. It's a tendency to focus in on what the other person is doing that we would like them to change at the expense of looking at the obvious issues in our own lives. So we get out a magnifying glass and we put it on the other person And we blow up their issues, no matter how small or how insignificant, and we completely ignore the issues in our own lives. Now, if you've been in a relationship for any length of time, chances are that you have done this, that you have found yourself thinking about and wishing that the other person, the person you're married to, the person you're dating, that he or she would change something. Right? Okay, so, so ladies, you're, you're, you know, you're thinking to yourself, you're thinking, oh, you know, there he goes again. He's just shutting down. We're trying to have this conversation, and I, I can't believe it. Every time we try to have this conversation, he's shutting down. Guys, right? You're, you're thinking to yourself, you start talking with your, your wife, and you're going, oh, there she did it. She did that thing again. She rolled her eyes and moved her hands. And she's like, what? And you're like, you did that thing again. What thing? That thing where you roll your eyes. Right? Or that thing. She did that thing with her tongue. Right? Now, I'm not very good at that. But ladies, you're good at that. You know what I'm talking about. You're like, oh, come on. You know, you know what I'm talking about? There she goes again, right? And see, all of us, and if it hasn't happened yet in your relationship, congratulations, you're in a new relationship. And so this is like advice for down the road. It's going to happen. And when it does chances are that that you're going to pull out that magnifying glass and you're going to put it on the other person and and you're going to magnify their issues no matter how small or how seemingly insignificant at the expense of your own. Now, now here's here's the crazy thing. Not only are we really good at identifying what we'd like the other person to change, but no, we take it a step further. We actually try and change the other person. We spend a significant amount of time trying to alter their behavior, trying to get the other person to do what we think he or she ought to do. And 
how you do this kind of depends a lot on your personality. Um, so maybe some of you would approach this um, from a passive-aggressive standpoint. You don't like conflict. You don't want to come right out and say it, and so you drop subtle hints along the way. You make a comment in passing. And then this, this is what's funny to me. You get frustrated when the other person doesn't get it. You're like, how could you not get that, right? Okay, so I was trying to think of an example for this, and, and I don't really know if it's a great example, but, you know, this, the birthday comes along, right? And so you're going to give a gift. You give two gifts, a Cheesecake Factory gift card and the Insanity Workout videos, right? Now, you're, you're sending a message. By the way, if you're dating, I do not recommend that gift combination, Okay. If you're married, I don't recommend that gift combination either. But I really don't recommend it if you're dating. Unless, because you're passive-aggressive and you don't want to be the one to end it, you want out of the relationship, but you don't want to have to bring that up. In which case, those gifts might be a way for you to do that. I don't know. You take that for what it's worth. So there's the passive-aggressive approach. And then there's the more direct approach. This is the person, you come along and you say, look, you're doing this. I don't like it. It needs to change. These are three steps that will help make it change. When do you want to get started on that? And you're stunned when the other person gets defensive and is taken aback, right? So this is the person that you're like, hey, um, here's your birthday. Here's half your gift now. It's the Insanity Workout videos. When you finish the 60 days, you can have the other one. We'll go to Cheesecake Factory. Right? Okay, because you're, you're direct and you're trying to control that. And then there's the third group. And, and this is the group that by far does the most damage in relationships. It's the group that tries to use guilt. And, and yeah, there's an element of guilt in the, that can apply to the first two. But there's people that primarily try and use guilt to change the other person. So, so these are the ones that they, they give the, the gift card and you go out to eat and they say, you're going to eat that whole piece of cheesecake yourself? Right? And then they get out the, what is it, MyFitnessPal app, and they're like looking up, you know, how many calories are in that, right? Or you're doing the workout video, and they're like, really? That's, that's all the harder you're, you're working out? Now, now, here's the thing. If you're one of those people that uses guilt as a primary means, then I would really challenge you to stop and think about why that is. And, and honestly, um, it's been my experience that a lot of times people who use guilt aren't able to see it, but if you are able to see it and you realize that you're doing it, I would encourage you to think about why it is that you feel the need to not only change the other person, but use guilt to try and do it. Because in the end, it's going to hurt your relationship. The other person is going to come to resent you. Now, here's the strange thing about all of this, aside from the fact that you're all craving cheesecake now. Maybe that's just me. If we're honest, we know this doesn't work. We know this doesn't change our relationships. And yet we do it anyway. Now, why is it? Why is it that we do that? Why is it that we we pull out our magnifying glass and we put it on the issues of the other person and we magnify them at the expense of dealing with our own issues? And the answer is simple. Because it's easier to try and change the other person than it is to try and change yourself. It's easier to see what the other person needs to change than to admit, you know what, there's some issues in my life that I need to change and that I need to deal with. 
See, we try and change the other person and it doesn't work and we, we keep at it anyway. And, and it almost doesn't even make sense because here's what I know about every single person in this room tonight. We all want to have great relationships. Nobody in here is saying, you know, I'd really like to have an average marriage. I really would like for people to just look at me and say, man, you have such an average marriage. No, we want to have great relationships. We want to have great marriages. And yet time after time after time, we do things like identifying what we don't like in the other person and then going out and trying to actually change the other person. And it ends up backfiring on us and it doesn't work. And we shouldn't be surprised that it doesn't work. Because during his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus hinted at the fact that when we elevate the faults of others ahead of our own, it is not going to end well. Our, our text tonight comes from Matthew chapter 7. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. Matthew was one of Jesus' disciples, his 12 closest followers. So this is an eyewitness account of what Jesus said during this sermon. And, and you know, these verses we're going to read tonight, especially this first one, all of us are going to recognize this verse. It's a very common, it may be one of the most common passages of Scripture in our day and age. You may not even realize it comes out of the Bible, but for most of us, uh, we're going to know this and we're going to say, ah. And, and so the reality is that this is a familiar passage, and I want us to look at it through the lens of relationships, and I want us to look at it uh, through the context of close relationships. And even if you're here and you're not a Christian, you're going to know these verses. And in fact, maybe one of the reasons you're not a Christian Maybe one of the reasons that you used to go to church and you stopped going to church is because the Christians you know don't seem to practice this verse. And to some extent, you're right. I would agree with you. And so what we're going to do is we're going to unpack this verse through the context of relationships. Matthew chapter 7, we're going to be starting in verse 1. Jesus is speaking. He says this, Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So we've all all heard it, right? Don't judge me. And and it's right there in the text. Now, Now, here's the interesting thing, is that most of the time when people say, hey, the Bible says don't judge, that's where they stop. They don't quote the rest of the verse or the ones that follow to put it in its context. And so sometimes these verses, they get twisted and kind of in a way that to mean something that Jesus doesn't mean. See, a lot of times when people say, don't judge me, what they really mean is this. Don't tell me what I'm doing is wrong. Don't tell me I can't do that. Don't tell me what's right for me. Don't tell me about morality and dating. Don't tell me about my marriage or my finances. Don't tell me how I ought to treat others. Don't talk to me about sexual purity. You decide what's right for you, and I'll decide what's right for me, and we'll agree not to judge each other. Now, on the surface, that makes sense. The problem is that's not what Jesus means in this passage. See, if we're, if we're out at Cheesecake Factory, and you see me yelling at my wife and putting her down, You're not supposed to just sit there and say, man, the Bible says don't judge. 
I don't know what's happening. I don't want to get in the middle of that. You know, who am I? I don't have a perfect marriage. So you know what? I'm not, I'm not going to say anything to him, you know, because I, I don't judge, right? No. You have every right to call me out for my sin. See, Jesus is not, in saying do not judge, he's not making a statement against moral absolutes. He's not saying let everyone uh, be their own guide and decide for themselves what is right and wrong. What Jesus is really saying is he's really, he's warning his followers. He's warning his followers and he's saying, hey, look, throughout this sermon, and you can go back to the beginning of chapter five and on through Matthew six and read it for yourself. Throughout this sermon, he has set an incredibly high standard for his followers. It's really, it's a standard that's so high that you read it and you say, well, well, who can live up to that? In fact, at one point, Jesus is speaking and he's speaking in, in hyperbole. He's exaggerating. And he says, be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. In other words, that's the standard. And you say, well, who can live up to that? Which is precisely the point. None of us can live up to that. Unless, of course, we have a Savior whose perfection is given to us. See, if do not judge was a statement against moral absolutes, then Jesus himself would have been guilty of judging others because Jesus had some harsh words for people. Jesus called out sin in others. In particular, he called out the religious leaders, the people who on the outside looked like they had it all together and had it all going on, but on the inside, they were filled with pride and self-centeredness and arrogance, and they thought they were better than everyone else, and Jesus called that out for them. You could say, in a sense, that he judged them for their hypocrisy and for their self-righteousness. And so we can't say that, that don't judge means uh, not to have a standard of right and wrong or not to have any moral absolutes because then Jesus would be guilty of violating his own commandment. And if Jesus was guilty of violating his own commandment, then he couldn't have been our perfect sacrifice on the cross for our sins. See, what Jesus is doing is, is he's saying to his followers, be careful, watch out. Because the same way that you look at others, the same standard, the same measure that you apply to them is what your father in heaven is going to apply to you. So you need to be careful. You need to watch out when you're tempted to elevate the faults of others ahead of your own. And then he goes on from there and he comes to this kind of example. It's humorous and it's ridiculous all at the same time. He says this verse three, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? And pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? Now, when I was 10 years old, I, I, uh, I used to like to play. It was our neighborhood was new and they were building new houses. And I used to like to play in the houses as they were framing them and as they put the drywall up with my friends. And one day it was kind of windy. I got a piece of sawdust in my eye. And it actually, it gave me a corneal abrasion. It scratched my, my eye. I had to wear a, a, a patch around. Actually, it was just gauze, but a patch sounds so much cooler. Anyway, now that, that hurt. But I imagine it was not nearly as painful as what happened in 2012 to a construction worker in Brazil. This man was on the site. He was wearing his hard hat when a six-foot rebar, so that's one of those metal bars, it fell several stories. It went through his construction hat, through his skull and exited his right orbital socket. Now, he was fine. 
seriously, he even had no ill effects. Claimed there wasn't any pain. I think he had so much pain that he actually wasn't feeling it. But that's another issue. Now, now think about this. How ridiculous would it have been in that moment for him to, to, as he's getting on the ambulance, to say to one of his fellow construction workers, hey, I think you got a piece of dirt in your eye. Let me, come over here, let me see that, right? The EMTs are loading him, you know, they're putting him on the stretcher to put him in the back of the ambulance. Hey, is that sawdust in your eye? That'd be ridiculous. And that's exactly Jesus' point. There's a, there's a little Greek word in verse 4. The, the word is edu. It's translated as all the time in the NIV, which is the translation we're using. And really, we don't have a, a good one-to-one translation for edu. Um, sometimes you'll see it as look or behold. Its function in Greek is it's an attention-grabbing word. It gets the attention of the listener. It gets the attention of the reader. And what Jesus is saying is, hey, you're caught up on that little, little speck of sawdust that you can barely see, but hey, 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 look. Come on, think about it. This whole time, you have got a giant plank in your eye. And the plank, the word he uses there, it would be like the main beam, the main structural beam of a house or a building. And so there's this huge contrast between them. And Jesus is saying, look, it's ridiculous. You're caught up on this little speck and you're missing the fact that there's this giant piece of, of wood sticking out of your own eye. And, and notice, too, the progression in these verses. Why do you look at the speck and say, let me take the speck? It's exactly what we talked about earlier. We pull out our magnifying glass. We identify what's wrong in the other person. And then we spend our time and our energy and our efforts trying to change them. And Jesus says, how foolish. That's not going to end well. See, this plays out in our relationships far more often than we like to think. We get caught up on these little specks of sawdust in the other person's eye at the expense of what's going on in our own lives. And so maybe, ladies, it might look like this. Maybe you complain about the fact that he doesn't want to talk to you. He always shuts down when you're trying to have a serious conversation. And so your conversations are very surface level. But the reality is, whenever you do have a serious conversation, you're constantly nagging him. Or maybe you're out and you're complaining about the fact that he never takes you out on those romantic dates like you want him to. And then when he does finally take you out on a date, it doesn't meet the picture you had in your mind. It's not romantic. It's not like the movies. And you're disappointed by it. Or maybe you're bothered by the fact that he never thanks you for everything you do for the family. But the fact is, you don't thank him for what he does for the family either. Guys, you say, oh, I just want want her to respect me. I just want to be respected. If she would just respect me, then everything would be fine. And yet you rarely, if ever, do anything to serve her. You never help out. You never help out with the kids. You never help out around the house. You want her to admire you. You say, I, just, I want to be admired. And yet the only thing you do on the weekends is sit on the couch and watch TV and tell yourself that you deserve it. Maybe you want to complain or you're tempted to think that, you know, my wife, she doesn't want to be intimate with me as much as I'd like to be. Meanwhile, you're looking at pornography and destroying your capacity for intimacy. 
and telling yourself that it's not a problem and you can stop whenever you want and just one more time. And it got so quiet. Let's pray. I'm joking. That'd be a really weird place to end the sermon. Now, now I know. I'm pushing a little. And this is aimed directly at me too. Because I'm as guilty of this as anybody else in this room. But here's the thing. When we get caught up in what the other person is doing, and when we ignore what's going on in our lives, it never ends well. It never takes us to the level that deep down all of us want to have in our relationships. It never takes us to that depth of love that deep down all of us want to have. And see, some of you, you're thinking, well, yeah, but I'm not the one with the plank. I'm the one with the sawdust. Really? Like, are you sure you want to go there? Because if while we've been talking about this, you've been thinking, man, I hope he's listening. I really hope she's listening. And you're trying to steal a glance to make sure that you are exactly the kind of person Jesus was talking to in these verses. The kind of person who has a tendency to minimize their own issues and to get caught up in what the other person is doing. And and look at how Jesus ends his statement. Verse 5. You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove that speck from your brothers. You're a hypocrite. That's harsh. I mean, does anybody like a hypocrite? No. Nobody likes a hypocrite. In fact, some of you, you're not a Christian or or you used to go to church, you used to be involved and you left the church because everyone is a hypocrite. And you want? You're right. We are hypocrites. Every day, I am a hypocrite. With the words I say, the thoughts I speak. Through my actions. Through what I say, through what I don't say. I am a hypocrite. And the incredible news of the gospel is that Jesus died and rose again for hypocrites. His perfection covers our imperfection. His righteousness is given to us. So if you're looking for a place where you're going to find no hypocrites, then then you're never going to find a place like that. And you're certainly not going to find a church like that. But what we do hope here at Element City Church is that we are a group of people who say, you know what? I am a hypocrite. And Jesus died for me. And Jesus is changing me. And he can change you as well. And I love you as you are. And we accept you where we are. And growing people change. So come on, let's go on this journey together. See, if if I could kind of put it in my own words, here's what I think Jesus is saying in these verses to us. He's saying, find and remove the issues in you. Find and remove the issues in you. 
don't get caught up in the other person. Don't get caught up in what he said or what she did. No, this is about you. Find and remove the issues in you. So, so here's what that might look like in the context of a relationship. First, you have to find the plank in your own eye. And you think, well, how hard could it be? It's a big plank, right? Well, even when it's a big plank, it's harder than you think. Because most of us have a tendency to overlook our own faults. We know our intentions. And so we think that our intentions make up for what we did or what we said. And so we assume that we're, we're better than what we really are. And the reality is that it's difficult but necessary for us to recognize, hey, I've got some areas that need to change in my life. And sometimes, by God's grace, we are able to recognize what those areas are. I mean, did you ever stop and think about that? This is kind of an unusual thought. Did you ever think about the fact that the ability to recognize sin in our life is a gift of God? Because how can we confess sin if we aren't able to see it in ourselves. But when, when we see our sin, when we recognize it for what it is, when we have the self-awareness to say, I've got problems, I've got issues, I need to do something about it, only then can we begin to actually change by God's grace. One of the best ways to find those areas in your life that are out of sync is to spend time reading Scripture. The Bible is an incredible mirror because when we read it, when we read about what God has done uh, for us through Christ, when we look at what God desires for us as his children, we begin to see those areas in our life where we're out of step, areas where we're out of sync, where we need to get back in alignment. So find those areas in your life that you need to change and then begin to remove them. Now, I realize that Jesus is not speaking literally, but let's face it. Taking a giant piece of wood out of your eye is painful. This is not going to be easy because it means that you have to say, I have issues. I have problems. I am doing something that is hurting my relationship. I am the source of the problem. See, we think, we think that we would have that great relationship we talked about if the other person would just change. If he would just do this, then we would have that great relationship. If she would just stop doing that, then we would have that great relationship. We put it on the other person and Jesus is saying, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh You find and remove the issues in you. So if anger is your thing, then you get to the bottom of that. You figure out, why is it that I'm so angry all the time? And what are the trigger points for my anger? And how can I begin to get rid of this anger and get rid of this bitterness that's deep down inside of me? If you struggle with with saying hurtful or abrupt comments, then it means you you have to stop and think, okay, is what I'm about to say, is it going to build the other person up or is it going to tear them down? Is it going to be helpful and beneficial or is it going to make the situation worse? It means you, you stop formulating your thoughts while the other person is still talking and you listen. You say, that's an excellent point, dear. And then you pause. You say, that might be one of the best points you've ever made. And then you turn around and speak. After you have thought about what it is you're going to say, what it is uh, and how it's going to come out, so that you don't make the situation worse. Jesus is, is saying to us, he's saying, find and remove the issues in you. And the goal is not perfection. 
The goal is, is to make progress, to grow in our love for God, to grow in our love for others, to allow the Holy Spirit to change us. And we are going to need help. Not only are we going to need help from the Holy Spirit, but we're going to need help from other believers as well. You know, it's wonderful that we gather here on a weekly basis in this service and we sing and we listen to teaching and and sometimes we laugh like we did at the beginning tonight. But the reality is that this is not the environment where we can be known for, where we can be known and prayed for and cared for and encouraged and challenged and have people come alongside us and say, hey man, I'm praying for you as you seek to find and remove the issues in you. And here at Element City Church, The primary place where that takes place is in e-groups. That's our small groups. Or what some uh, people, depending on your church background, you might call it a Bible study. Uh, We prefer to call it an e-group because really what it is, is it's a group of people that have come together and they've said, you know what, for this season of life, we're going to encourage one another. We're going to pray for one another. We're going to read the scriptures together. And we're going to just do life alongside one another. And we're going to be the person that God can use to help other people because we can't do life alone. The connected life is greater than the surrounded life. We're all surrounded, but very few of us are connected. And so I know summer is coming and some of you are getting ready to take off and some of our e-groups are going to kind of be off, but you need to think about come fall, how you're going to get involved in an e-group, get involved in a group of people that can challenge you and encourage you as you seek to change. And here's the thing. There's a little secret I'm going to let you in on, and then we're going to close. If you will take ownership of the issues in your life that need to change, it will do far more to encourage the other person to change than what you can on your own. When you focus your attention on the other person, when you try and change the other person, that may get results for a short while, but it is not going to get results in the long run. But when you take ownership of your issues, that's motivating because love naturally wants to reciprocate. Love says, I see you giving. I see you growing. Now I want to give and I want to grow in the same way that you have shown and done towards me. Now, is that a guarantee that that's going to happen? No. Am I saying that what the other person did or is doing is not a big deal? Absolutely not. But Jesus is clear in these passages. The issue is not with the other person. The issue starts with us. We need to find and remove the issues in our life. So would you be willing to pray to that end? Would you be willing to pray and say, Heavenly Father, it's a little bit scary, but I need you to show me those areas where I need to change. And then as his grace is poured out on you and as the Holy Spirit empowers and enables you, would you be willing to take steps to actually begin to change? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, I confess that that I am, I am not consistent or very good at this. I need your grace. I need your grace to to help me admit my faults, to help me see those areas where I need to change, to help me keep that attention focused on what I need to be doing. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are here tonight. And and this can land in so many places and we have so many different relationships and, and so many issues. And God, I just pray that you would 
Give us the wisdom to know how to begin finding those issues in our life and how to begin removing them so that we wouldn't be guilty of being hypocrites. And as we move now towards communion, Father, we thank you for the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. We thank you that that his perfect life, his death, his resurrection, that it covers all of our sins. That they have been removed as far as the east is from the west. Father, we love you. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.